Welcome to the Games for the Throne podcast, a podcast about the HBO series Game of Thrones. I'm your host, Courtney, aka Mother of Dragons. Welcome to episode 603. This episode is entitled Oathbreaker, and we pretty much start off with Jon Snow coming back to life. Sir Davos is just standing there dumbfounded as he sees Jon lying on the table. Um, Jon sits up and looks around, and he feels his stab wounds, and then he tries to get up from the table, and he um, starts to fall. So Sir Davos grabs a cloak, wraps it around him, then Lady Melisandre walks in. Of course, she's surprised to see John alive, too. And she starts asking him what he saw after he died. And he says, well, I just remember my brothers stabbing me. They stabbed me in the heart. They killed me. I shouldn't be here. And he says that he didn't see anything. So um, apparently, as far as we know, there's no heaven or hell or anything um, nothing that I think Lady Melisandre was really looking for to kind of reaffirm her faith in the Red God. So, um, Sir Davos explains that Melisandre brought him back from the dead. And she tells Sir Davos that she realizes now that she was wrong, that Stannis wasn't the prince that was promised, but that someone has to be. Sir Davos asks for a moment alone with John, so Lady Melisandre leaves and... Sir Davos kind of just, you know, says, look, you were dead. You just got brought from the dead. Some weird shit just happened. So if you don't feel right, you know, I understand. And um, John just says, you know, I don't understand why I'm back. Why does it matter? And um, he says, you know, I tried to do the right thing and my brothers killed me for it. Uh, you know, I really just don't understand why you brought me back, what I'm supposed to do. And Sir Davos says, well, you know, you need to go on and fight as long as you can to clean up whatever shit you can before death comes again. And John says, well, you know, I failed before. And Davos tells him, well, go fail again. John walks outside um, to see what's left of the Night's Watch and the Wildlings. And of course, everybody's staring at him as if he's a god. And Tormund says, you know, that's what they think you are they think you're a god however i know better because when you were laying there naked i saw you're a pecker and no god could ever have a pecker that small so john and Tormund laugh and hug each other and um john thanks dolores ed for helping him and getting the wildlings there to fight for him and ed asks you know is it still you in there he says your eyes are still brown so i hope it is and John says, well, you know, hold on burning my body. I'm, I'm back. I just want to wait a little while and see what happens. Don't burn me yet. Then we cut to um, Sam and Gilly on the boat. They're headed to Old Town and Sam is just really seasick. He's throwing up in this um, barrel. He's just not doing too good at all. And of course, Gilly, strong woman that she is, yay, um, she's totally fine. She's looking out of one of the portholes and she tells Sam that she's really excited to see Old Town um, and how, you know, she used to think that um, the sea was called the sea because it was as far as the eye could see. She didn't understand that they were different spellings of a similar word. And so now she understands what it is because she knows how to read. Um, so Sam then has to break some bad news to her. He says, you know, 
well, we're going to Old Town, but the Citadel does not allow women inside of it. So I'm going to need to take you and little Sam to my father's house in Horn Hill. And I'm going to have to say that little Sam is my son. And my dad's not quite a nice guy, but my mother and sister are really, really nice. And she's, you know, a little not happy about this. She really says she wants to stay with Sam and that that's what he said. And he says, well, I know that's what I said, but I said it because I wanted you to come with me and I really care about you and little Sam. He's like, you know, I don't care about everybody else. And he says, well, you know, I kind of do, but no, I really care about the two of you and I really want you to be safe and happy. And the only way that you're going to be that way is to be in Horn at Horn Hill. So she kind of fights with him for a minute, but then she just finally concedes and says that if Sam thinks that's best, then she trusts him because as far as she concern, is concerned, Sam is the father of her child. Then we go into the scene and um, we see this kind of desert sand area there are all these men headed towards a tower um where a soldier is sharpening his blade and um this is we see blood raven or the three-eyed raven and bran and we basically find out that this is a flashback and it's a really good one um so this is basically where ned stark um along with hal and reed who is uh mira and jojen's father and was a really good friend to ned stark they go to the Tower of Joy, where allegedly Rhaegar was keeping Lyanna against her will. There are different theories on that. And three of the Kingsguard are there, which includes the greatest knight ever in the history of Westeros, um, Sir Arthur Dane, who is called the Sword of the Morning. And I think his blade, it's Valyrian steel, and it is called Dawn. And that's why he's the Sword of the Morning. So Ned comes up and he says, you know, why are y'all here? We looked for y'all on the Trident because this is right after the um, Robert has killed Rhaegar on the Trident and also after Jaime has killed the Mad King. So Robert Baratheon is pretty much guaranteed this throne, yet these three men are still there and loyal to Rhaegar as the prince guarding something. And Sir Arthur Dane says, well, you know, this is where our prince wanted us, so this is where we were. Ned asks Sir Arthur Dane where his sister is, and Sir Arthur Dane doesn't really answer him, and he just pulls his sword out and says, and now it begins, and Ned replies, no, now it ends. And they begin fighting until it's down to Ned and Sir Arthur Dane. Basically, Sir Arthur Dane um, fights with two blades, and... He kills about four or five men um, and wounds one of them who's laying on the ground before it's just him and Ned fighting. And he's about to get the better of Ned until somebody stabs him through the throat. And that person is Helen Reed, who again is Jojen and Mira's father. So um, while Bran's watching this, at first he's really concerned that his father is about to lose. He's like, well, I know my father fought him. But he won because, you know, he lived on and Sir Arthur Dane died. But clearly, Sir Arthur Dane is a better swordsman than my father. So then he sees Helen Reed stab Sir Arthur Dane through the throat. And he says, well, okay, so my dad 
didn't really kill Sir Arthur Dane, and they stabbed him in the back. So Bran's a little taken aback by that. He doesn't know how to feel. And I think you can kind of see in young Ned's eyes that he feels the same way. However, they've accomplished their goal. So um, Sir Arthur Dane is basically on his knees, and Ned takes presumably ice and um, chops his head off. So that's the end of Sir Arthur Dane. Then he hears something like a cry or a scream coming from the tower. And so he starts to run up to the tower and um, the Three-Eyed Raven wants to leave. Of course, Bran is like, no, no, don't want to leave. Can't we please stay a moment longer? And Bran calls out father and Ned turns around and looks where there's no one because obviously he can't see them. And he stops for a moment because he, he did hear it. Um, and after a minute, he turns around and runs back up the stairs and the Three-Eyed Raven pulls Bran out of the flashback and we're back in the tree cave. Bran demands to go back, but Blood Raven says, you don't understand. You, um, the past is already written and the ink is dry. And um, you just, you, there's only so much that you can do. And Bran wants to know what's in the tower. But Blood Raven or the Three-Eyed Raven tells him, you know, we must be careful not to stay too long in the past or we might not return. And Bran says, you know, he doesn't want to be like the Three-Eyed Raven sitting in this cave forever with a tree going, growing through him. And the Three-Eyed Raven says, you know, I didn't mean for this to happen, but I was basically doing this to wait for you. So, um... He tells Bran, you must learn things before you can leave. And Bran asks him what he must learn. And the Three-Eyed Raven says, everything. Then we cut to Marine, where Varys and Tyrion are still trying to hold Marine together. Varys meets with the prostitute that killed one of the Unsullied um, back maybe in, I uh, can't remember which season, maybe in early season four or season five. And... Um, she thinks that Varys is just going to torture her, but he says, you know, that's not my way. He, I want to make you happy. Uh, I know who you are and what you've done and that you've helped the Sons of the Harpy to kill Unsullied and the Second Sons. Um, and she says, well, you know, Danny's not the true queen. She's not from Marine. She's this outsider. She's a foreign queen. Um, but Varys says, you know, he wants her to see things from his perspective. And, um, he knows her name, Vala, and that she has this young son named Dom. And, um, he even knows that the boy's sick and needs, you know, medicine. And, you know, he says, well, I can help you. Um, and she says, well, I can't, I can't tell you what I know because the sons of the harpy will kill me and they'll kill my son. And he says, well, you know, there's a third option. Um, if you tell me what you know. Um, I will give you this passage that I booked to Pentos for you and your son. And I'll give you a bag of silver as well, just to sweeten the deal. So presumably she takes all this. She gives Varys the information that he needs. Tyrion and uh, Missandei and Grey Worm were kind of just sitting in the other room and having this awkward silence. So... They really just don't understand Tyrion's humor, which is a pity because his sarcasm is hilarious. So he asks them both what they would be talking about if he weren't there. 
and they don't really understand. Grey Worm says, well, we would be talking about patrols, when patrols would be, what what happened when I got back from patrol, who's going to be on patrol. And Tyrion says, well, you know, that's reports. What have y'all talk about, like, in conversation? Um, you know, and um, Tyrion says, the true, the true history of the world is the history of great conversations in elegant rooms. And Masande asks, well, who said this? And Tyrion says, well, I did just now. So Tyrion says he's referring to conversation. He wants to have conversation with them. And he suggests playing the drinking game instead. But of course, neither of them drink. So he tries to figure out a way around this, but he really can't figure out a way to play it unless they drink. Um, so right then, Varys comes back in. He tells them that he knows that Astapor, Yunkai, and Volantis are all backing the Sons of the Harpy. And Volantis is pretty much the oldest and the largest city in Essos. Grey Worm says, well, the Unsullied are ready to fight. Um, and they've conquered Yunkai and Astapor before, so they can do it again. But Varys and Tyrion aren't really quick on jumping um, on board with this new idea of an all-out war. And Missandei decides that, um, she decides it for him. She says, you know, the masters only speak one language and that's basically selling slaves. So we must speak the same language back. They just know violence and we need to counter that. So Tyrion tells Varys to get his little birds to send messages to the masters of the cities. And, um, he wants to talk to them all. He wants them to come to Marine. Danny's come back full circle. She's back in Vase Dothrak. Calmero's men take her right to the Dush Killeen and they rip her clothes off of her and take her beautiful dragon necklace and they give her a tunic to wear. She tries to tell them who she is and that she really doesn't belong there, but they tell her, you know, we're all the widows of calls and this is where we are. And most of these women are pretty young, so um, the leader's a little older, but she's still not old, old. And, um, you know, the old woman says, well, you know, I remember you, I saw you when you came here with Khal Drogo and you ate the horse's heart. And, um, you know, you were told that your, um, son, or you said that your son would be the stallion that mounts the world. And, you know, we all thought that our calls were going to conquer the world, but they didn't, they died. She asked Danny why she didn't return to the Dash Killeen um, directly after Drogo died. And Danny said, well, you know, I'm the mother of dragons. There were other things. This is not where I was meant to be. Um, I will have other things to do. And the lady tells her, well, you went out into the world, which was forbidden. You were supposed to come directly back here. So tomorrow night um or in a couple of days the calls are going to have this thing called a fun. i know i just totally screwed that up but it's basically this gathering where the dothraki decide um which cities to sack which people to enslave what do they want to do with silver-haired young women who hatch dragons in the pyre of the call um so they could decide to kill her or if she's lucky she could stay with the dosh Kaleen to live out her days so personally, I'm voting for a third option, which is Drogon's going to come get her and take her out of there. 
Then we see Kyburn. He's in this room with all these little kids, and he's asking them different questions. Um, they miss Ferris. They want to know where he is. They said, well, he always gave us candy. So, of course, Kyburn gives them candy. Um, and Cersei and Jamie in the mountain walk in. The kids look at the mountain. They're all scared. But Kyburn tells them not to be fearful, and then he tells them all to leave. Um, Jamie starts asking questions about the mountain. He's like, you know, how much does he understand? How much of him is really there? Why can't he just go to the Sept and kill the High Sparrow? And um, he makes a jape, I think, at the mountain. And the mountain kind of turns to him. And Jamie backs up a little bit. And Kyburn says, you know, he understands enough. He knows what's going on. But, you know, we can't send him openly in there to kill the High Sparrow. There are all of these little sparrows, these faith militant that are around him. So... Cersei says that she wants Kyburn's little birds everywhere. She wants to know everything that's going on, every move that's being made against them. She wants to know if anybody is saying anything about her because she's going to stomp that out real quick. We've already seen that. And that um, she is going to demand trial by combat from um, the High Sparrow. And that the Mountain will be her um, champion. So that is her plan. And then Jamie and Cersei go to this small council meeting. Sir Kevin tells them that they're not supposed to be there. They have no um, right to be there because the queen, uh, the queen mother was never actually supposed to be on the small council anyway. And Jamie says, well, you know, I am the um, head of the Kingsguard. So technically I have a seat on this council and I say she can be here. And Grandmaster Purcell, who was just like moments before they walked in trying to stage a coup and um, go behind the two of their backs, um, he says, well, yeah, there really is precedence for this. I can't really say anything against it. And um, he was also trying to have them um, vote to have the mountain destroyed because he said it wasn't a sanctioned experiment. This was all going in at, on as Jamie and Cersei walked in. Um, so Cersei wants to know why the Queen of Thorns is there since she isn't really on the small council. And Lady Olenna tells Cersei that she was invited. And who is she to question why Lady um, Tyrell is there? Because um, Cersei is no longer queen. Marjorie is the queen now and Cersei needs to get that through her head. Cersei still demands to know what's going to be done about Dorne and what they did to Princess Marcella. And Sir Kevin says, you know, obviously we can't stop you two from staying, but unless Sir Gregor is going to kill us all, then we can leave. And so they get up and leave, and Grandmaster Purcell kind of scoots around the mountain like a scared puppy. Tommen goes to see the High Sparrow. He demands that Cersei be allowed to see Marcella, but the High Sparrow says that she can't enter the Sept until she has fully atoned for all of her sins and Tommen says well you already made her walk through the street naked what else does she have to do and he says that she has to stand trial in front of seven septas so things get a little heated um then they kind of calm down and Tommen and the high sparrow both dismiss their guards and they talk man to man allegedly and um the high sparrow says you know there is good in your mother. I can see it. She really loves you. And that is the goodness in her. And what we all have to do is figure out a way to bring out the goodness in each other. And he knows that the only reason that she did her walk of shame was so that she could get back to Tommen and help him. So 
He says, a true leader listens to the wisest of counsel, and nothing is wiser than the gods. The gods work through people, and there is good in everyone. We go to Winterfell, and Ramsay um, gets a visit from the son of Great John Umber, who is Small John Umber, at least in the books. And um, he tells Ramsay that Ramsay's father was a cunt, excuse my French, and that's why he killed him. Um, he knows Ramsay killed him. And he's fine with that. He says, you know, my father's dead. He bowed to Rob Stark and uh, Jon Snow let these wildlings in over the wall. And I'm not happy about that. I'm tired of the Starks. So I'm going to join you. And of course, Lord Karstark's kind of against this. I don't think he wants anybody taking his seat besides Ramsay. And, um... Small John Umber says, you know, you're a car Stark. You actually claim to be descended from the Starks and you're here so I can be here. And then he says, well, I have a gift for Ramsay. And he brings in this woman and this little boy and he takes off the um, covers and we see that it's Osha and a grown up Rickon. And he tells Ramsay that's who it is, that it's Rickon Stark. And Ramsay says, well, why should I believe you? And he says, well, I have proof. And he brings Shaggy Dog's head and puts it on the table. So another dire wolf with a um, sad demise. Unfortunately, they're dropping like flies here. So Ramsey says, well, thanks for this present, but, you know, why don't you kneel before me? And Small John Umber says, you know, my father knelt before Rob Stark. We're not going to kneel anymore. So you take this, you take my allegiance, and that's what you're going to get. And then Ramsay um, welcomes Rick on home. We head back across the narrow sea to Bravos, and um, Arya's back at the house of black and white. The waif is continuing to train her, um, beating the crap out of her with a stick. She keeps asking Arya who she is. Arya says, a girl is no one. And this goes on for a long time. Um, it looks like Arya is also learning about different poisons and chemicals. And um, the Waif also asks her all about Arya Stark, who Arya Stark was, who was on her list. And she talks about, um, you know, um, the Hound and why the Hound um, was taken off of her list. Anytime that Arya lies about anything, the Waif knows it and hits her. Finally, one day, the Waif goes to hit her and Arya actually blocks her attack. And the Waif walks off. So Yakin Hagar starts talking to her and asking her all these questions and you know she says the girl is no one and then they go to the well and he gives her part of that um water or whatever it is in there to drink and he says you know if a girl is truly no one she has nothing to fear so Arya drinks the potion and her sight comes back so he asks her again who are you and she resolutely replies no one then finally we go back to the wall. I assume it's been a few days. Um, Ed comes to tell John that it's time. John goes out to the courtyard and everybody's gathered around. And uh, the last four men who helped kill John are ready to be hanged. And these are two guys. One of them's like a builder. Um, I forget what his name is. And then, of course, it's Ollie and Sir Alistair. And um, John asks if they have any last words before they um get killed and sir alistair says or one of them not sir alistair i'm sorry another one says that john shouldn't be alive that it's not right and john says well neither was killing me 
And Sir Alistair basically says that he had a choice. He could either follow John as his Lord Commander, or he could not betray the Night's Watch. And so he decided for the Night's Watch, because they had been fighting wildlings for years and years and years, and John let them in, blah, 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 blah. Again, you know, I understand that there's this dissension and it is a big change because the wildlings have climbed the wall and killed people and everything. But at the same time, again, you know, this war is coming and, you know, they're either going to be on your side or the other side. So pick. And Sir Alistair also says that if he had to do it all over again, that he would make the same choice. He fought and he lost. So um, he tells John that you'll be fighting the wildlings battles forever. And when John gets to Ollie, Ollie just looks at him with this, you know, stink eye. He doesn't really say anything. So John hesitates for a moment and he takes the sword and he cuts the pulley and um, the men hang until they die. And then once it's done, Ed says that they should burn the bodies quickly. But John says, well, you know, you take care of them. My watch has ended and he hands Ed his cloak. And that's the end of this episode. So, you know, what's John going to do now? Is he going to go back to Winterfell? I mean, technically, his watch really did end. He served them until he died, and he owes them nothing else. So, really can't have any hard feelings. Plus, you know, we all want to see him go back to Winterfell. And where have Osha and Rickon been all this time? I mean, I think that Bran told them that if they went to the Umbers, they would be safe. So I guess that's where they were. And that obviously didn't turn out too well for them because um, the Umbers turned against the Starks. And the big question, so why would three kings guard, who have no king or prince to protect, be guarding this tower that Ned Stark wants to know what's in the tower, where his sister's at? So that's a big question to ponder. Thank you for listening to my podcast, Games for the Throne. This podcast is new and what I'm doing is before season seven, I'm going through back through all the episodes of season six and doing recaps on those. If you have questions, comments, crazy theories, you can email me at gamesforthethrone at gmail.com. You can also like me on Facebook at Games for the Throne. And on Twitter, it's at Games for the Throne, but the four is actually the number four. You can also check out my Games for the Throne blog on 3cstudio.net. And that's where I'm going to be putting um, episodes of the podcast as well. There will be lots of news. Um, I've talked about different theories. You can go on there and see what all's on there. So I'll see you next time.